District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about the organization, visit www.cfact.org. Welcome to episode 160 of District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. I'm joined by a special guest today to talk about his publication's rebuttal to the now infamous meat eater piece, The Case Against Hunter Recruitment, and that is Jerry Bethge. So Jerry Bethge is a longtime editor. He is specifically the deputy editor at Outdoor Life, which is a sister publication of Field and Stream, both of which I have appeared in in the last few years. Fun fact, if you didn't know that. And he has been in outdoor media since 1984, and he came on to share what went into their thinking in responding to the Meat Eater piece by Stephen Ranella's brother, Matt Ranella, and we talked at length about the merits behind R3, best strategies for introducing new people to hunting, Jerry's own experience in not just being an outdoor communicator, but being someone who can help dispense the virtues of hunting. I think people forget that a lot of outdoor media actually go out of their way to introduce new people to hunting and fishing. I've been on the receiving end of it, and I know many of you have who are listening who are new to hunting and or fishing. So Jerry has a pretty good grasp of the importance of keeping and replenishing hunter numbers and also fisher numbers. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Outdoor Life Deputy Editor Jerry Bethge. My name is Jerry Bethge. I am Deputy Editor at Outdoor Life. Um... I started at Outdoor Life in 1983, which is a long time ago. Um, and I have been at Outdoor Life for basically that, that entire time. Yeah, you've had a long storied career in the outdoor industry and especially with um, that publication as well. And you're one of the four editors who issued a response to the now oft talked about meat eater piece, the case against hunter recruitment. And you contributed kind of your perspective about bringing new hunters into the fold. And some of your other colleagues shared their different perspectives, but something that you had concluded your segment of the piece was, and it's a quote I'm taking from your piece saying, take someone new outdoors. It could change their life and yours for the better. So talk about writing that rebuttal to the meat eater piece and what all of you editors hope to accomplish from it. Well, Gabriella, it was not so much a rebuttal. It was, um, and, and being divisive is not what we need to do right now as hunters and fishermen, you know? Um, but I will tell you that my entire life, I've gotten nothing. The biggest kick that I've gotten out of, the outdoors is taking new hunters out in the field and helping them be successful. They weren't always successful, but um, helping them be successful and introducing them to hunting and fishing, it is like it's an incredible experience. It's way more important than my experience. I mean, I, you know, I did it you know, for years and years, and, and my dad took me out and all that sort of stuff. And, and some of that is missing these days because a lot of kids don't have dads to take them out. But we take as many kids out as we can, and even adults. And, and it's, I mean, it's the greatest experience ever. A lot of people are discovering the outdoors due to the 
pandemic. And I think there has been a gravitation of different people, especially millennials into the great outdoors. I've seen this myself, um, having been a new participant in hunting, but also just living in a city and you see people and meet people and they've expressed an interest to go hunting and fishing as well. And I think one of the issues that Matt Ranella had was kind of a contention with R3 recruitment, retention and reactivation. So in, in your mind and in the mind of other outdoor life editors, why do you think that's a program worth defending? Do you think it's foolproof? Does it help recruit and retain people? Are there some shortcomings to it? What do you what do you think about the program? To pretend that I know what exactly what Matt was talking about would be false, because I don't. Um, but there are several stages to hunting, right? There's the first stage when you just, and I'm just talking about hunting here. Um, the first stage is when you get into hunting and what you want to do is be successful in hunting and try to shoot a deer, right? Second stage is when you're into hunting big time and you want to shoot a really big deer. And the third stage is when you are into hunting and you wanted to shoot a big deer and but what you really want to do is get your kid involved or other kids involved or other people who are not involved in hunting into the sport. And I don't think, I think those guys missed that point. And, and again, I don't know, Matt, um, but that's how we all feel at Outdoor Life. Um, and and that, that's kind of the way it is. I mean, it's like, that's what we want to do. We want to get new people involved in hunting. Our kids, our friends' kids, um, and, and adults, our friends. You know, you meet them at a cocktail party. You go over to somebody's house for, for Christmas, and you're giving them venison. And they're like, oh, my God, that's the greatest tasting thing ever. How do I get some of that? And you try to tell them how they can do it very easily. And, and, and that's kind of where we were coming from. We're, we were not trying, again, we were not trying to be divisive. We were just trying to present our perspective. Yeah, and it's fair to have that perspective too. And I would say it was a, kind of strange to read because my understanding is the growth of meat eater and it becoming kind of a hot commodity and entity in media, uh, they are largely successful because of promoting and extolling the virtues of R3 or some sort of semblance of it. So it kind of seemed like a defeatist or kind of counterintuitive perspective to put, I don't know what his reasoning was and, and it's not trying to stoke fire or anything, but it was weird because I feel like that program has really introduced so many people who've never thought of giving hunting or even fishing a, a thought. Um, they've benefited indirectly from, I would say, these recruitment efforts, and they do partake in R3 programs with organizations that they support. So does that seem kind of like a disconnect that they would argue it, yet they would somewhat endorse it too? And obviously this guy's uh, opinion isn't representative writ large of, of their publication, but it, do you see that kind of conflict there that he was push, pushing? No, I don't think it was a disconnect. I mean, I, I really don't. I mean, it's like everybody's, you know, everybody to me is is 
is too touchy these days. And it's like, that was his perspective. I respect it. And that's fine. And I get it. Um, but it's his perspective. And outdoor life's perspective is different. So we should be cognizant of that and we should be, and it's fine. I mean, it's not, it's not my perspective. It's not our perspective, but it's his perspective. So let's not be so touchy about that. Right. Yeah. Cause the industry does allow for different viewpoints, of course. And I don't think anyone wants to cancel <laughs> meat eater. That's certainly not my intent, but it was interesting just to see where they came from. Um, with respect to that, but were there any other aspects of the piece you wish that they had clarified on, or you or the other editors would have maybe wanted them to clarify on, or maybe elaborate more on? I would bet you anything that Matt takes as many people out hunting who want to go hunting with him as he could possibly take. I, I would bet you anything because as one thing Andrew said in his thing is that if someone asks you to take them hunting to learn the sport, or and I say hunting, I mean hunting and fishing. If they ask you to take you out to learn the sport and you refuse, you're an asshole. <laughs> you really are. And Andrew is at 200% right about that. If someone ever asked me to take them out turkey hunting or something like that, deer hunting, and I said, no, I want to save my spots for myself, I'd be an asshole. That's not the way this sport works. And especially with, I would say, since we're on the East Coast, I know there are different challenges with access. Uh, it's more private land here, obviously, more out West, it's more so public land. Uh, but do you think that was kind of what was factoring into his piece as well, that kind of divide or, or not so much that? Possibly, Gabby. But you know what? On the East Coast, if you do your homework, there's a lot of public land. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of public land. There's a lot of places we can go out and hunt or fish. And, and so I'm not buying that part of it. You know, we're not Montana. Okay. Connecticut and Massachusetts and New Hampshire, Vermont and New York, we're not Montana. But holy crap, there's so many places to go out and enjoy the outdoors. Hunting and fishing-wise, either one. I've seen that here since moving to the East Coast about nine years ago. I would say there are probably more ample opportunities for public waters. I have no trouble going fishing. Hunting is a little different. And since I don't own any big parcels of land, it's a little tricky for me. But I do have some contacts. I do know of some... Uh, like right. private entities that offer uh, like an outdoor access type venue where you could rent prime fishing, prime hunting lands, and it's no problem. And, and they usually equip you with someone to guide you, whether you're fishing or hunting. So it's a matter of finding means to, to do it, of course, in a, in a place where maybe the public land opportunities are scarce, but they still exist um, there. But uh, for your experience, obviously, and perhaps you can speak, on behalf of your other editors too, for these recruitment efforts to sustain themselves. I think people say, well, there's no trouble recruiting people. It's just a problem of retaining and perhaps reactivating people who maybe fell away from the sport. But what do you think some of the challenges are for keeping people involved in the sport, given your experiences, given the experiences of your colleagues as well? Good question. Um, so I will tell you, so our offices used to be in Manhattan. 
several of our editors were based in Manhattan. Now, I'll use Natalie Krebs as a uh, as a great um, example. And Natalie found people in New York and Brooklyn who were like intrigued with hunting. Why do you want to hunt? What can we hunt? Can we hunt rabbits? Can we hunt this? And she took them out rabbit hunting. And they went upstate New York, um, you know, for a weekend. And they, I don't know how many rabbits they killed. They killed a pile of rabbits. People, it's in, it's in your gut. It's in your heart. It's in your soul. And these people want to actually hunt. And, they, and they're intrigued with it. They're intrigued with all parts of it. And we should help them. Um, we should help them get more involved in it. Natalie's done that. Natalie's done it great. Um, Alex Robinson has done it incredibly great. And I've tried to do it all the time. Just try to get people involved in hunting. So that's where I completely disagree with Matt Rinell. I mean, it's like, yeah, I can keep my place to myself and I can be pissed off with all that sort of stuff, but I rather share. And it's more fun sharing that stuff than it is being selfish about it. I think that's what a lot of people have started to reckon with. They they see the value in keeping the heritage alive and they don't see introducing new people into the sport as taking away or subtracting from their opportunities to hunt. I've never felt that when I've encountered landowners who say, yeah, come to my land, but don't try to like do so much because you're going to take away from my opportunities. I've never had that resistance to hunting on people's land ever felt, I would say. And I, I think most new hunters haven't either. Um, so I think most of them are pretty welcoming as long as you respect their property, their land, their rules, follow obviously state guidelines or local guidelines with relation to hunting regulation. But yeah, I, I would say that there is a insistence, especially out East and, and maybe more so starting to happen out West where you do see a lot of people saying they want to open up their land to willing hunters, whether they are adult onset hunters or much younger hunters. Um, and, and it doesn't take away from your property or, or your opportunities to hunt. And I keep saying hunters, you know, and you keep saying hunters because I have, <laughs> um, fishing is no different. I mean, right. it's the same. It really isn't. I mean, it's like gaining access to a trout stream. I mean, it's it's not as easy as you think, but if you do it correctly, it's definitely as easy as you think. So, I mean, that that is my perspective. I think some people believe there's some exclusivity to certain trout streams. Funny you mentioned that. Um, but if it's publicly listed, I don't think it should be viewed as being exclusive because if the state lists it as a place to go traverse, you're more than welcome to do. It. I know some people are very protective over even some public water spaces, uh, but, but right. I think it's a minority opinion. <laughs> Thankfully. Yeah. For that. No, you're right. And, and I, you know, that gets into a whole nother avenue of, 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 of stuff, you know, who owns the river and who owns the lake and who owns the brook, you know, all that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, 
get everybody involved. I mean, it's we're paying for this stuff. Hunters and fishermen are paying for this stuff. You know, we are paying for access for everyone. You know, Pittman Robertson money and stuff like that. We're paying money for everyone so that they can access all this property, whether it be for hunting or fishing purposes. And I mean, that's got to count for something. I don't think the problem is too many hunters or anglers. I think that's always been a problem, the the shortage of them. Um, so I don't know, yeah, how you could say that we have too many hunters or too many anglers traversing lands, public or private. Um, I actually don't see many people really going fishing or hunting, um, even in this way in Virginia. Although you do see some foot traffic for hiking trails and camping. I think that's a lot easier maybe for certain people, but still I would say kind of just in my um, purely observational view. Like anytime I go fishing or even hunting, I haven't really seen overcrowdedness wherever I go. So I don't think we have a shortage. I think um, there's enough space in this country to accommodate everyone who wants to go and who's willing to, I, to learn. I think so. I think you're right. It, it's certainly the case now. It was not the case, you know, 20 years ago. Um, where all the streams and all the woods were packed but it is the case now for sure. Are there any other subjects somewhat unrelated to, to this piece that uh, you think my listeners would be interested in? Are you guys going to be having any pieces on foraging, turkey hunting, any other content that my listeners should look out for coming up at Outdoor Life and even Field and Stream? Yeah, well, I mean, we're definitely going to do, um, you know, a lot of turkey hunting stuff in the next few weeks and and foraging mushrooms and ramps and stuff like that in the next few weeks but i mean just trying to get people involved in the outdoors go out there and enjoy it and it's like god especially after you know all the covid stuff you know a lot of people are getting vaccinated and Go out there and have a good time. Yeah, because I think even CDC guidelines say you're least susceptible to COVID outdoors. The transmission spread is a lot lower. You can't harm yourself from from going outdoors, I think, in the most case. And it's the original social distancing, as they say. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I've had my um, turkey camp in Massachusetts for 20 years. And last year was the first year we didn't do it. Um, and we didn't do it because of COVID, and it was terrible. Uh, one of our buddies was, you know, he had comorbidities and stuff like that, and and we wanted to keep him safe. Um, tragically, he died in January. He got COVID, and, and tragically, he died. So we are doing our tricky camp this year. Everybody's been vaccinated. And um, we're doing the camp this year in his memory. Mm. And it's turkey camp and fishing camp. And we're going to do it for a week and a half. And uh, we cannot wait to kick it off. It it starts the last Monday in April. And it's, I mean, it's going to be incredible. Can't wait to do it. That sounds very exciting. And I know some people listening may think that there really aren't much of ample opportunities in the Northeast, but everyone oh. think forgets that 
since our country's inception, actually, there was a lot of storied heritage, a lot of opportunities. I know participation numbers may be lagging a little bit compared to the South and, and Mid-Atlantic and, and Midwest. Um, but certainly, yeah, there's a lot of inherent value with, with doing that up North. Oh, there is. I mean, it, it, you know, incredibly, our town has more state land than the entire state. And um, so we only own turkeys on uh, public land. And um, it's and we do exceedingly well. And we're proud of that. Um, and it's not because we're any good at turkey hunting. It's because we're pretty much so lucky, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, you're, you're right, Gabriel. I mean, it's like there are many opportunities on public land in the Northeast that people don't know about, you know, and should take advantage of. I think, I mean, there probably is somewhat of a, I wouldn't say it's a roadblock, but sometimes public land hunting can be intimidating. I've done, I think the, the extent of my hunting adventures, they've largely been private land, but I did public, I was hunt, duck hunting on a public refuge, one of the wildlife mm -hmm. refuges. So I, I've done a few instances where it wasn't intimidating. It wasn't overcrowded. So I know they, they exist and, and I have to soon apply, I think in the coming years for some of the, we have a lot of ample opportunities, even close to me um, that are public and um, not super crowded. You have to apply for a lottery and, and you can go and hunt turkeys. You can hunt deer. There are many different species included in, oh, I'm sorry, a wildlife management area. Why am I missing that? <laughs> That's what it was. Uh, but, but even in those WMAs, um, really close to the city, you can easily find those ample public opportunities. You've got to like watch your regulations, how to apply, mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. But uh, uh, one of the things you would look at is uh, Sitka deer in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Dorchester County. I've done it like three times, and those deer are the coolest deer ever. It's a long story about sick of deer and how they got there and all that sort of stuff, but you ought to look into that. That's something I've really been curious about, having watched all the different programs on Japan. And I know have they originally hail from Japan, and they're kind of like a miniature elk. Uh, but swamp kind of elk. I think that's a, a layman's way of describing them. It's it's incredibly cool to hunt them. So anyway, that's an aside. No, no. I always like plugging in local Chesapeake or mid-Atlantic fishing tidbits and hunting tidbits. Uh, but Jerry, is there anything else you'd like to plug in or any parting thoughts you'd like to include? No, not really. I just think that, you know, getting as many people involved in, in hunting and fishing. And again, I, I, you know, I've given so much time to, to hunting on this thing, but fishing is no different. Um, just take somebody out. It'll change your life. It'll make, it'll make everything. It'll make your life better. Take kids out, take adults out. Um, you know, for adults on the hunting side, yeah, they have to do a hunter safety course and all that sort of stuff, but just take them out. You know, one of my favorite stories ever was uh, one of my next door neighbors, and um, it was a Christmas party, and I don't know how many years ago it was. And um, so I made a venison loin, 
and cut it up and he tasted it and he's like, oh my God, that's the best thing I've ever had. How do I get some of that? And I'm like, here's how you do it. What you got to do is you got to take a hunter safety course. Once you've done that, I will take you out and hopefully you'll shoot a deer and you'll have an entire deer to feed to your family. And he did. And he shot a deer. And, you know, that's what we ought to be thinking about in the hearts. Getting new people involved in the sport. I mean, that's really my final thought. Yeah, there's no harm in doing that. And it's important to sustain the funding because I don't think some other revenue source could could replenish it. I, I can't even conceive that. Um, just given the model, and it's not because I'm biased in wanting to keep hunters and anglers the primary drivers, or biased in thinking that I want to, but I, I can't think of any replacement revenue source apart from hunters and anglers and the excise taxes they all pay uh, to that program. But it is really true. Hundred percent. I mean, it's you know, hikers and I, I, I like hikers. Uh, hikers are not going to pay for it. You know, we're going to pay for it, and and that's okay. We're okay with that, pretty much. So very good. And, uh, I was going to ask about gun stuff, but I talk about that all the time. So I think this is perfectly fine, but Jerry, thank you so much uh, for coming on to share kind of what is on your mind, what you and your other editors at outdoor life were thinking with the editorial piece where you guys came about it, uh, kind of your stance on that and what you hope to accomplish. So I really appreciate it. Uh, no sweat, uh, Gabby, you know, here's the thing is that it pissed us off in our gut. And I, I think that's what precipitated any sort of response, is that that's not how outdoor life or we as hunters and fishermen were brought up and wanted to do. I mean, it's, you know, we, we do this because we love the outdoors. We love hunting and fishing. And I mean, that's where we come from in our hearts and in our souls. So that's what, you know, that's what happened. But we're not going to carry it on any further or anything like that. So, yeah, healthy debate is, is good. And it's not calling well, for any different <laughs> different things. You know, everyone has different beliefs across a different spectrum. So, no, it's only happy. And it certainly did inspire a lot of conversation. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a campfire discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, years ago, we would do this and, you know, around the campfire and be like, hey, you guys are full of crap. Uh, nowadays, you got to do it on social media. But, <laughs> you know, it, it, it really when it comes down to it, I mean, that's what we do. So, yeah, keeping it all healthy and alive and in spirited debate um, out there on the forefront. But thank you again, Jerry. This has been very fun. I've enjoyed catching up with you and I appreciate your perspective. See you, Gabby.